to be honest with you, I don't want my access to everything curated. I want access to things I don't know about. And I want everybody to have access to the things that they don't know about because that's how you change lives, is by somebody tripping on something, picking it up and getting inspired. This is the Box Office Podcast. I'm Russ Fisher, the editorial director of the Box Office Studios, which provides editorial content to movie theaters. And I'm joined by Rebecca Polly, the deputy editor of Box Office Pro Magazine. Hey, Rebecca, how are you? Uh, I'm, I'm doing as well as one can be doing in what is shaping up to be a very, very crazy January. Yeah, it's been, I think maybe many of us hoped it would be a little bit relaxed, and it has not been. Relaxed is, yeah, that is not the word that I would use, but I'm, I'm. we have a very good conversation today. We do. Yeah, I'm excited. We're going to speak to Maggie McKay, who runs the Vidiots Foundation, which essentially began as the video store Vidiots in Santa Monica, California, just on the west side of Los Angeles, and has, through Maggie's persistence of vision, evolved into a multi-pronged space in which she will have a big exhibition space, a big movie theater that is housed in the old Eagle Theater in the Eagle Rock neighborhood of Los Angeles. It'll have a secondary screening space. It'll have a giant storefront video store. There's going to be a bar. I mean, it's a really ambitious and very cool community movie space that can basically take care of anything that you want from out of a movie experience. So we're going to talk to Maggie about how she's putting that together, what it means, the history of the theater, history of idiots, and plenty more. Russ, you are very familiar with and very into the L.A. movie scene, and I am along for the ride. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I think I certainly have been very into the L.A. movie scene, and right now I'm not, in part because I'm not living in Los Angeles temporarily, in part because, obviously, all those theaters are closed. There's no L.A. movie scene now that's not virtual theatrical, so... Exactly, yeah. And unfortunately, that's a topic that we talked a little bit about with Maggie, but we're not really going to delve into in this episode because there aren't really answers there yet. But it's safe to say that even before Vidiots fully opens, which will hopefully be at the end of this year, as they're still in fundraising stage, you know, the scene in Los Angeles is going to be very different. So there's an opportunity post-COVID to help kind of reinvent what the whole city is as far as a as a movie town, as you know, as far as a movie theater town at the very least. But first, this episode is brought to you by QSC, which announces the expansion of the QSIS ecosystem for audio, video, and control with the new cost-effective Core Nano and Core 8 Flex processors. Far beyond a conventional cinema processor, QSIS is a complete ecosystem that allows you to control and monitor audio and video content delivery just about anywhere throughout the cinema complex. Visit qsc.com slash podcast for more information. That's qsc.com slash podcast. All right. So uh, we have Maggie McKay on with us this week. And now Maggie is, you know, full disclosure, she's a friend, but she is also a powerhouse in the Los Angeles exhibition space and in the Los Angeles movie space in general. She runs Vidiots, the nonprofit, which is originally was a video store and has an astonishing library of titles, like in the realm of 50,000 titles, 
But Maggie is at the point of pivoting Vidiots into a community-oriented, full-service exhibition space located on the east side of Los Angeles in a historic theater. It's a project that she's been working on for as long as I've known her, and it's at the point of coming to fruition, which is wonderful. It also means that Vidiots is actively fundraising, so we're going to drop a couple of mentions of that, and we'll also have some links in all our associated uh, websites, etc., if you're interested following this conversation. But anyway, Maggie... Hi, it's wonderful to talk to you. It's been a long time. Hi, it has been a long time. And I, I miss you. I'm glad to be reunited with you, at least virtually. Isn't it nice? It's great. So tell us a little bit about Vidiots. Give me the like the elevator pitch version of what you're doing right now, and then we can kind of extend some feelers back into the past and into the future and talk about some other subjects. Amazing. So Vidiot started, as you mentioned, as an alternative mom and mom because our founders are both women. Video woo. store in nineteen woo in nineteen eighty five. Um, I didn't found Vidiot, so I get to be sort of I get to be name droppy and a little self centered and say that um, I, I think we're one of the best video stores in the world. Um, we were certainly one of the most recognized for a very long time. Patty Collinger and Kathy Tauber, our founders, opened in 85 in Santa Monica in a sort of iconic location, very much because uh, the kinds of work that they wanted access to, they weren't finding in the video stores that were cropping up in Southern California. And that included documentary work, experimental work, work by women and people of color and the LGBTQ community. So they started down the road with 800 VHS tapes and almost no money and then grew the collection to almost 60,000 and had one of the most successful video store, independent video stores in the world. And then, of course, uh, as you can imagine, seismic technological shifts and what I think is a is a really unfortunate not paying attention um, culturally on behalf of you know, all of us, the public, um, and seeing what happened with video stores, uh, we hung on, we transitioned to a nonprofit organization around 2012. And I got involved in 2016 and drank the Vidiot's Kool-Aid very fast and realized <laughs> what an amazing uh, place it was. And I grew up in and out of a video store and it really had a, a massive effect on my adolescence and, and everything I did after that. So I knew it was worthwhile when the rent became impossible in Santa Monica. And we realized that the community that could really support Vidiots as a nonprofit organization was sort of shifting to different parts of the city. We knew that we needed to move. I was not willing to close without the hope of reopening and so uh, for a few years, we hunkered down and went into hibernation, put everything into storage and started putting the pieces together to figure it out. And those pieces are people like you and many, many others like you, Russ, who were interested and said, we're game to help, we're game to lend expertise and then eventually money. <laughs> and we stumbled on a movie theater called The Eagle which is in Eagle Rock in Northeast LA, a historically underserved area when it comes to film and exhibition since I've lived in LA, which is over 22 years. And, you know, the flash forward is that we secured a very long-term lease on that building about a year ago. And um, we're expecting to open last November. Of course, <laughs> of course, we all know what happened there. 
Everything changed. But we're one foot in front of the other, and and you described it perfectly. We'll be a full service, for lack of a sexier phrase, home center for the east side of LA and really for the entire city and, and hopefully a blueprint for many other places around the country. And it'll be two screens, right? Two exhibition safe spaces? Right. So the, the main space is this huge movie theater, which once housed, I've read, up to 800 people. Um, we're taking that size significantly down a single screen movie theater in Los Angeles really you know, doesn't need to have that volume now. So we'll be a 250 seat movie theater, 35 millimeter digital projection, pretty much any way you can imagine projecting a film, we'll be able to do it in the big house. And then we have this amazing storefront that is the same era as the movie theater that's attached to the building, which we've also secured. And that's where our video store collection will live um, and operate as exactly what we have always been since 1985, an operational video store with 50,000 titles plus Um, mostly on DVD and Blu-ray. And then we have part of the storefront that we are going to create a very flexible screening event and community space. So that will have digital projection, but it'll also be able to be used for live reads and, you know, for friends and family screenings, for private events, for community events. I like a little micro theater. Exactly. Call it the micro cinema. Oh, nice. Nice. And it's for those listening who don't live in Los Angeles, which is probably the bulk of our audience, it is kind of important to emphasize the geographical differences and the cultural differences that go along with them. You know, a theater in uh, or a space or a store in Santa Monica is vastly different from a store in Eagle Rock or a space in Eagle Rock where Vidiots is going to be located. They serve very different audiences. Those audiences don't necessarily, I mean, everybody kind of approaches movies in the same way, but you've got a different cross-section of the city coming into your space. And like you said, it's Eagle Rock and the east side of LA in general is not a place where uh, historically there have been big independent movie spaces. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, Interestingly, all of Los Angeles, much like most of the country, I mean, I do look at Eagle Rock in in some ways as a microcosm of not just Los Angeles, but of a lot of places around the country um, that once had thriving access to film. So in Eagle Rock, there were more than one movie theater. There was more than one movie theater. You know, there were video stores. Once video stores became a thing, there were video stores all over the place. And then suddenly everybody got excited about things like streaming services and, you know, DVR. And and suddenly we lost sight of our access and got excited thinking, oh, this is what access means. And when in reality, all that access peeled back. So we think of Vidiots not just as something local or something just related to Los Angeles, because especially as a nonprofit, the idea isn't just to save ourselves and to save the Eagle, which is our new home, this this movie theater, which served audiences from 1929 until the year 2000 before it shut down. And that was continuous. I mean, I'd, I'd love to delve a bit into that just because unlike Russ, I'm from an area that has very little by way of, of art house movie theaters. And now I'm in New York and I'm not someone who's particularly familiar with Los Angeles. And you have this idea like as a, as a film person of, oh my God, it's LA. There's a, a wonderful, cool the rep house doing cool art house stuff on every block. What's the state of things right now for some of these rep theaters, these art house theaters in LA, asterisk 
if COVID weren't, like, obviously COVID <laughs> it makes it different for everyone. But you have things like Netflix, you know, Netflix going into a deal with the Egyptian. What's the atmosphere like in LA for art house theaters? Is it a particularly challenging time right now to embark on a project like Vidiot's is? I mean, Vidiot's has always been a challenging project. I've been involved for almost five years and it's always been challenging. And it's one of the reasons why I dig my heels in and just stick with it because it's worth the challenge for me. It's the most filling professional experience I've ever had. Um, and it's the mission. I've always been in arts nonprofits and it's the mission that I most adhere to and I most see potential with to really change the culture and to really have an effect on people very directly, um, a positive effect. So, but historically, Los Angeles is surprisingly underscreened, meaning we don't have the number of screens that we have you know, the audience capacity for. It's always shocking to people that we don't have an art house theater in every neighborhood and every community. <laughs> we really don't. And we don't even have as many commercial movie theaters as you would expect. And in a way, I think that's very representative of the country at large, with the exception of maybe places like San Francisco and New York, which, you know, New York historically has many more opportunities to engage with independent cinema than Los Angeles does, which is a little mind-blowing considering we are the film capital of the world. But in a way, it actually makes us more like the rest of the country. Uh, it kind of ties into to something that we've spoken about on the podcast before, which is, you know, in the exhibition space in North America, kind of a lack of, of diversity. You have particularly minority communities, you know, across the country, but also I would imagine just in Southern California that really are not served by movie theaters. And the exhibition space in the United States is overwhelmingly white and male. Absolutely. And historically, the difference was previous to this sort of era, this technological era, you had movie theaters in every neighborhood. And I think even though those theaters were likely run by white cisgender men, smart movie theater operators did cater to the communities that they lived in because that was this way to make money. So Oddly, even though the world is increasingly, we're not there yet, we're a long ways off, but increasingly the world is more aware of the disparity, I would say, in, in programming and in operations and in staffing and every possible way you can imagine that there is a lack of inclusion and diversity. I think that we're still surprisingly way off of where we were 20, 30 years ago we're actually becoming less diverse because there's fewer opportunities to see film in general. Vidiots, we have founders are women. We have an entirely female board, which is how it shook out as we rebuilt the board over the last few years since we've been in hibernation. We're 40% women of color. We have a mandate to staff when, we, when the great day comes that we get to put a staff together. Right now we're still all... I mean, we're, we're not quite volunteers, but as far as our staff goes, we are entirely consultant-based to this point. When the great day comes that we get to staff, we have mandates about how we'll staff, and representation is the number one mandate. Most theaters, as you know, across the country are programmed and run by, by men, by white men. That needs to change. We talk a lot about representation in our field. We talk a lot about behind-the-camera representation, in front of the camera representation, we really don't talk a lot about representation in programming and exhibition outside of these small circles. 
So that's something that's really important to us. And we've been doing it since 1985 because of what our collection looks like and because that collection was put together by women. One thing that really stood out for me in one of the first conversations that you and I had was talking about breaking down barriers in programming in general. Something that was very appealing about some of the plans you have for videos. So the idea that programming and deciding to show a movie to a group of people can be more accessible period. You know, that it's like, oh, it's kind of mystifying. Like, hey, if I wanted to rent a night at the the Egyptian or if I wanted to do something, I don't even know how I book the movie. I don't know how I do any of that stuff. You know, the further you get away from being some central core part of like a local film nerd community, which again, tends to be mostly dudes, the less you're likely to know about that and the less likely that information is going to be accessible. So is that still part of what you're hoping to do with Vidiots, that it can be an accessible space for people to get movies seen that they're not seeing anywhere else? Absolutely. I mean, we, we're we very different as an art house theater, which is our new life. We'll be operating an art house theater, but the library is still there. And mm-hmm. because we are growing this out of a very extensive library, which has everything from, you know, the most obscure art films that none of us even know about on VHS, (laughs) on rare VHS, to Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen videos, to, (laughs) you know, the biggest blockbuster of any year since the beginning of film, Mm. to the Sundance Award winners from, you know, whatever the the latest year is. (laughs) We really, our programming is really based out of this idea of the video store, which is that you can program and watch anything and there is an audience for anything you program. Mm. Um, we have a blueprint with the Eagle because the Eagle existed in this community for 70 years before, you know, before the, it shut down for 90 years before we got involved. And the people that live in that neighborhood remember that movie theater and they, we regularly talk to people who will tell us double bills they saw in the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. We had a woman tell us she saw her first movie there in 1946 hmm. um, when wow. she was a little girl. So we have a really interesting blueprint for what got programmed. And as a programmer, I'm not a programmer really much anymore. And I, you know, we'll have some, I'm sure I'll program some things at the Eagle, but, you know, we're, we'll be looking for a programming staff at some point. Um, but as a programmer, I always found it very frustrating that programming tends to get, you tend to get into a niche. You're either this, right. or you're either that, or you do this one thing, but you don't do that. I like the theaters that are like, here's every weird movie that came out in the 80s. I'm like, you can branch out a little bit from the 80s genre stuff, guys. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not naming absolutely. Or only saying we only program this kind of art film or this, you know, this quality in quotes. And the reality is there's no reason not to show a Charles Burnett film in the same night that you might show a kid's Disney movie. I mean, they're, th- these things coexist and they coexist in the video store, so they should coexist on our screen. Yeah. The way that people watch movies have changed. Obviously, you know, you spoke to how streaming has had a huge impact on uh, video stores and how there are barely any of them in existence right now. How do you bring that back, you know, as a programmer, as an exhibition space? How do you say, like, okay, yeah, you can go on Amazon Prime and see this movie, but it's better to see it here? 
How do you reverse that trend? I, you know, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that. I mean, especially especially in 2020, we've seen that trend accelerate with people not being able to go to movie theaters. Yeah. You know, we can't thank 2020 for much, but one thing we can thank it for is that I will never have to get on a soapbox again and remind people why it's important to put their pants on and move their houses. Right. That argument is dead. I know because every single day, multiple times a day, someone says via social media, via email, however it happens, please come back. We need to go to movie theaters. We can't do this anymore. We don't want to fart into the same couch cushion. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the doom scrolling has moved over to streaming services. As far as the video store goes, honestly, having worked with idiots for the last almost five years, I can tell you that if people have access to video stores, they use them. The issue is access. We have a wonderful video store on the east side of LA called Videotech. Shout out to Mark and the crew at Videotech. That video store is still operational. Every time I go into Videotech, it's thriving. There are teenagers in there. There are kids in there. Uh, grownups, everybody you can imagine in LA is is represented in that video store every time I'm in it. So it's not so much about whether people will use it, it's whether they have access to it. And it's not really about nostalgia. It's about a lot of other things. Streaming services are very convenient if they have what you want and if you know what you're looking for. They are not helpful if you don't know what you're looking for. Curatorial element is just throw spaghetti at a wall. like. (laughs) And curation is wonderful when it comes to programming. And it's really important when it comes to programming. But to be honest with you, I don't want my access to everything curated. I want to be able to discover things that a corporate entity is not trying to get me to watch. I want to be able to find something that people in the video store have never seen. I want access to things I don't know about. And I want everybody to have access to the things that they don't know about because that's how you change lives is by somebody tripping on something, picking it up and getting inspired. And that really applies to the arts in general. And I, we think a lot about younger generations at Vidiots. So streaming services are great for existing cinephiles and grownups who know exactly what they're looking for, exactly what they need. But sometimes you don't know that you're there's something you don't know about. How, how could you? The other side to it, I mean, there are all sorts of other arguments for physical media. The quality is a lot higher than streaming. You have extras on DVDs and Blu-rays that you would never get on a streaming service. Um, certain streaming services don't even want you watching credits anymore, much less spending an hour or two watching through the DVD extras, behind the scenes stuff. I have an old Hitchcock box set that I have spent hours with discovering things about some of my favorite movies that I had no idea. You know, I didn't know about those things because of DVD extras. So there's so much that you lose when you rely on someone, on a corporate entity to feed you your art. Um, that doesn't mean that I don't have streaming services. They're very convenient and there's great stuff about streaming services, but they shouldn't be the only way that you access this incredible and historic art form. So let's, let's talk about, uh, fundraising a little bit because we've talked to a couple of different operators on the podcast who, you know, have been in a position where they've tried to raise money, where they're working to put together a nonprofit, you know, community oriented spaces like yours. And there's always some sense on our side, I think of like, 
how can some of these efforts become blueprints for other people who are trying to bootstrap the same sort of thing in their own communities, in their own cities? So what's your experience fundraising been like and where do things stand right now? Well, that's a big question. I mean, fundraising is an emotional roller coaster every day, (laughs) Um, especially during a global pandemic and, you know, the most volatile time in uh, American history that any of us have experienced. Um, And an election cycle that, you know, really required a lot of us to put a lot of resources, um, whatever resources we had into it. So um, it's it's been an up and down experience. It's been very gratifying in a lot of ways. We've seen people step up with small donations. We've seen a lot of people really step up with big donations. Um, we are in a capital project. And even though we have 35 years in Los Angeles, in some ways, this is a new project. So we don't get the grant support that we were hoping for um, because... All of the grant organizations now are really working to triage the the, the organizations they've been supporting for many years. Um, and unfortunately, and I really, you know, when I can take on another project, I really do want to, to scratch at and then figure out how capital campaigns for projects like ours can be better supported by government grants and by, you know, private foundations, because in my experience so far, there's very little capital support. And that's tragic. This is uh, vidiotsfoundation.org forward slash donate, by the way. Uh, we'll have that link in the episode description as well. But $5, $10 every little bit. And I have to ask you, you know, the dreaded question, the question no one is going to know the answer to, especially now. Timeline, what are you looking at? I, I know there have been some red tape, like bureaucracy issues that you've been dealing with. Is that right? Like, when do you hope to have this thing open again with the asterisk? We we don't know when movie theaters in LA are going to be able to open like in general. Well, we were sort of, I mean, in some ways we've benefited from having not already been open when COVID hit and the bureaucracy you mentioned um, has to do with, with permitting with city permits, which we won. It took seven months it was unfortunately a sort of unnecessary battle. Um, we got stuck with some really weird conditions attached to our our permits to sell beer and wine, um, and for extended hours, which you know, as a single screen movie theater and a, and a nonprofit art space, beer, wine, and food are really pivotal to mm. you know to the revenue streams. Almost every movie theater in the country now has some additional revenue stream to help bolster their their budget. Um, so we won that battle. That was a big one. And we won for one reason. We won because we had an enormous outpouring of support from the community. Thousands of letters during our public hearing, which was telephonic because of COVID. We had 178 straight minutes of people that I, a lot of whom I had never even met. I mean, they weren't necessarily our donors because they had to be people in our district from Eagle Rock in the neighborhood. So we won our permitting issues and, you know, the timeline has slowed down. However, where we are now feels pretty comfortable, which is that we're hoping to hit our immediate fundraising goal, which is to secure enough to comfortably start construction without the fear of running out of money midstream start construction, have a six-month build-out, and then hopefully open 
by I would say close to the end of 21, which which feels like a pretty good timeline for a vaccine and feels like a pretty comfortable timeline, not just to be able to open, but to be able to open in a strong way. We've been, we will have been shuttered for, you know, many years at that point. Um, we put everything in storage and shuttered in 2017. So to get open late 21 feels like pretty good. And we'd really like to be able to do it the right way, which is, you know, a full house and people feeling comfortable at the bar and feeling comfortable browsing physical media and just do it the right way and have the biggest party anybody's ever seen. <laughs> I hate I hate that I'll be on the wrong coast for that. I might have to come over. Well, one thing this time has shown us, it's that we have supporters all over the globe. And even though, yes, we're, we're rooted in a sort of different, different time technologically, um, we do really well with virtual events. So we will have a virtual component for you, Rebecca. You will be able to come to our opening in some way, shape, or form. And we will never stop doing some, you know, virtual format programming because it works. It's really fun. And we brought back our signature movie trivia night, and it'll probably always have a virtual component to it because we've been able to invite people from Hong Kong and Australia and um, Korea to join. And it's been enormously fun and a very, I'd say, buoying experience to be able to share that with people. And really... You know, Vidiots is not just about this local community or just this local nonprofit. This is really, if we can do this in Los Angeles, then we can help anybody figure out how to do it anywhere. And for me, especially in light of recent events over the last many years, I think that the sociocultural divide we're experiencing, which is so catastrophic, has a lot to do with the fact that and we, as a country, have fewer and fewer opportunities to access the arts, and especially those art forms that have really been designed for the masses for a long time, public radio, um, FM radio, you know, non-cable television and, and video stores and movie theaters. And the more of those spaces that exist, the closer we are culturally to each other, regardless of where we live. That's a great point. Everything's gotten so very siloed. Yeah. I mean, we talk, everybody talks about the big cities being in bubbles, but I would argue that small towns that only have access to a radio station that's playing Christian rock and, you know, has a very political sort of um, outlook to it is pretty limiting. I mean, that, that's a bubble in and of itself. And, you know, if you're a queer kid growing up in a really conservative part of the country and you don't have access to a movie theater or a video store or a space that you can go on your own... And the internet, I would say, has real serious limitations and real problems when it comes to finding community. Sometimes it's really helpful, but there are real problems with that as well, as we know. And a brick-and-mortar space that somebody can go to for free that's equitable, um, like a video store, like a library, those spaces are pivotal to our, our society, and they need to be supported. So if we can do it here, then maybe we can show other people how to do it in places that needed even more. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think the the idea of, I mean, I agree on every point with the idea of access to the arts being important to community building and unification, but to refine it even a little more is like access to the arts together, accessing stuff in a space where 
you are shoulder to shoulder with other people who are hopefully not the same people as you. And that affords opportunities for community building that you just can't have without a physical space and without being in the same room together. That's right. And the video store is really central to that for us. Um, Traditionally, movie theaters are spaces that you go to with people you already know. You know exactly what you're going to do when you get to that movie theater. Video store is really different. You can go to the video store by yourself and you can plan to be there for 10 minutes to return something or pick something up and not expect to have a really deep and enlightening cultural exchange with a stranger. And that's typically what ends up happening at the video store, whether you're talking to a clerk or you're talking to the video store owner and operator or whether you're talking to a complete stranger who tips you off to something you never knew about. And especially, you know, having watched that happen at Vidiots, I know that that exchange is not only important to the individual, but important to the, the health and, and the stability of the industry in general. People need to talk about movies with each other or this industry dies. Financially, culturally, it dies. You cannot have film without human interaction. It does not work. You know, we we really want to see video stores cropping up all over the country. And there are new video stores. There are a, a lot closing, but Beyond Video in Baltimore is thriving. They are a new video store. They've been open for a few years. They're entirely volunteer-based. They've sourced their entire collection from donations, and they're thriving. Also, I want to make the point that nobody has ever gone into a video store for only 10 minutes. Nobody. (laughs) Nobody. It's never happened. In the history of the world, it's never happened. No, never. And that's another part of what our mission is, is to connect all of these remaining video stores so that we're talking to each other, so that we're supporting each other. And a lot of us do talk to each other. I mean, especially we can thank social media for that, that it's been able to, we've been able to find each other. Our friend and and advisor, Kate Hagen, wrote an amazing piece called The Last Great Video Store. She wrote it a few years ago. She's updated it several times since. But she really went out and talked to and tracked as many of the remaining video stores in the United States as she could. We talked to video stores in France, and we were talking to one in, I think, Mexico City for a while. I need to reconnect with them. But this is really a community that needs to, to talk to itself and needs to protect itself and, and needs the public to really be involved in order for it to thrive. Kate is great, by the way. Kate's the best. very cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's, let's do a quick drop of uh, fundraising links again, and then I think we're in a pretty good space to wrap up unless there's anything else, Maggie, that you feel like y- you have to get out. It's, Wonderful to have um, your interaction and your support uh, via social media. We're at Vidiots on Instagram and Twitter. Um, we're at Vidiots Video on Facebook. Um, we're, we're much more active on Instagram than we are anywhere else. Our website, as Rebecca mentioned, is vidiotsfoundation.org. Uh, we love your DMs. We love to hear about what movies you want to see. Um, we love to hear about your local video stores and your stories about those video stores. And as far as fundraising goes, keep your eye out. We are in a capital campaign right now. Our, our primary means of support has been what we call the founding member campaign. 
It's a campaign that invites individuals and corporations or companies to come in at the 5K and above level for various benefits. You know, not a lot of us have 5K kind of sitting around um, to donate. However, uh, the tax incentives, especially right now, are huge. We also invite founding member pods or teams. So if you have a group of friends that you love, that you always talk about movies with, and you're like, wait a minute, I think between the 10 or 15 or 20 of us, we could probably come up with 5K. We would love to have your names or your team name on our founding member wall at Vidiots in the library of Vidiots uh, or in the lobby of Vidiots, which you can picture as a lot of neon and a lot of VHS tapes. How much do I have to donate to get my own custom seat where I can name it whatever I want? I'm thinking like Udo Kier. I don't know. I love that idea. Uh, seat naming and sections of the video store naming will be more available as we get closer to rolling out our membership campaign. We will be a member organization. So much like a museum has a member campaign, we will do a member campaign. We will probably launch that sometime in the spring to coincide with our start of construction. Um, and that, and there will be some seat naming rights. Um, but there are seat naming opportunities already available at certain levels um, in our founding member campaign. But again, $5 makes a really big difference, especially you know, during these really complicated times. So we're very cognizant of everybody who gets involved with idiots on any level right now. And, and you all are our family and that's how we move forward is with, with that support and encouragement. So please reach out to us anytime, you know, stay in touch and tell us your stories and cheerlead and anything you can helps. Love it. Maggie, thanks so much. It was great to, uh, you know, I, I'd heard about videos for a long time, but it was it was great to finally actually meet you. And hopefully one day I'll actually be able to go once it opens up Yay. and COVID goes away and uh, all these things that are holding me back from seeing really good movies at videos. <laughs> all the things. Well, all the hopefully things. we'll be able to like show you tours virtually and invite you to virtual programming. You should come and play trivia with us. Yes, I love playing trivia because I love just seeing how many people do so much better than I do. Like, I think I know my stuff. I swear to God, I think I know my stuff. <laughs> no, I, I nurse an old fashion and watch people amaze me with their knowledge is what I do. <laughs> well, we've been talking to Maggie McKay from Vidiots. Uh, once again, vidiotsfoundation.org. Thanks, Maggie. This has been awesome. Thank you. I hope that I, I didn't babble too much. I hope you got what you needed. You're great. Uh, Rebecca, I know that you have wanted to talk to Maggie for a little while, so I'm glad we got to get you two in a room together, even virtually. Yeah, it makes me feel like I've been traveling a little bit. Not really. <laughs> right. Just a little. Just a little. Thank you all for listening. We will be back next week with another episode. The Box Office Podcast was produced by me and Rebecca Polly and recordeditpodcast.com. And thanks again to Maggie McKay of the Vidiots Foundation for coming on to speak with us. And once again, you can go to vidiotsfoundation.org to get a lot more information about her project and to get links to their fundraising efforts. Thanks. Take care.